You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Friday, November 4th, 2022. People. I hope everybody's doing. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the fun Friday edition of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to do something a little bit different to lead the show. I know you want your college football, Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, but there is a huge story that I want to discuss. Remember, this is the Aaron Torres pod. We don't always stick to college sports. And this Kyrie Irving story is insane. Uh, tweeted out something anti-Semitic, refuses to apologize for it, finally suspended. This just is a fascinating story that I just want to hit on off the top, spend about 10 minutes on. If you find it boring, if you don't care, whatever, um, go ahead and fast forward to the college football stuff. After Kyrie, it'll be about 5-10 minutes off the top. We will get to Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, probably the only games we'll preview this weekend. Those are the main ones. Those are the ones that matter. We'll talk about them. From there, we will talk after college football about college basketball. Louisville, NCAA sanctions or lack thereof. They basically got off with a slap on the wrist. I'll tell you why that happened and why that's probably the right thing. And then, of course, we will wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Before we get to today's show, though, do want to make a couple quick announcements. One. I want to thank our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. I've told you about Betfred quite a bit over the last few months. I'm going to keep telling you about them. I love working with them. Betfred, been around since 1967 in the UK. Came to the US. By the way, one of the most respected books in in the UK, 1,600 shops, came to the US making a major splash. Cincinnati Bengals presenting sponsor. Denver Broncos presenting sponsor. Colorado Rockies presenting sponsor. And as it pertains to this show, most importantly, the presenting sponsor of Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Pod. What I love about Betfred, they do more for their customers than anybody. And they put their money where their mouth is on this one, literally. Don't know if you've seen this, but Mattress Mac, the famed MLB better. He has a big bet with Betfred right now. Betfred is following him around at the World Series. Houston to Philly, back to Houston. So you talk about doing more for your customers 
Nobody does more than Betfred. And here is what they are going to do for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. Go to Betfred.com. Bet on any game this weekend. Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Liberty, Arkansas, UConn, UMass. Does not matter. Doesn't matter what. Bet five. Uh, bet $50. Get $250 in free bets, courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. They are doing that for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. So make sure to take advantage. Also, I will tell you later what my Betfred boost is. You might be able to guess. It's one of the big ones this weekend. Wink, wink, nod, nod. It's not Alabama LSU. Betfred boost is coming up, but thank you to Betfred, our presenting sponsor. Also want to thank Bracket Fanatics, who is, of course, our sponsor of our Aaron Torres pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. BracketFanatics.com worked with them for the last two NCAA tournaments. They are awesome, and they are now in the NFL space, and they are giving away cash to listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. For those who have not figured it out yet, not gotten involved yet, here's the deal. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Click the tab, join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres, and here's what Bracket Fanatics is doing. They are giving out $100 to weekly winners. So all you got to do, go in, pick games for each week, pick the winners, and if you win, you get a $100 cash prize, and then we have a season-long $1,000 cash prize courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. I do want to mention our Week 8 winner, Boomer Kurt. Boomer Sooner. I don't know if he's a Sooner or not, but Boomer Kurt was our Week 8 winner. He will be contacted. Boomer, if you haven't been contacted yet, Bracket Fanatics will get in touch with you. You are getting $100 for being our Week 8 winner. Season-long cash prize, $1,000. So again, I'm just going to say it one last time so you all know. BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket named Torres. $100 weekly winner. $1,000 season-long cash prize. Congratulations to Boomer Kurt, who won the Week 8 contest. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. If you have not made your picks for Week 9 yet, go ahead and do that. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And I'll tell you this, guys and girls. So listen, I think everybody listening, you kind of think you know where Torres is going to start. Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Bama, two top 10 matchups that are very much going to impact the college football playoff race. But I want to start somewhere different and in a place that maybe you wouldn't think. And as I think about just this show in general, one thing, when I went to five days a week here on the Aaron Torres pod, one thing I wanted to do was really dig into some of the bigger stories in sports that weren't always college sports related. Over the summer, some of our best shows and some of the shows that you guys and girls like the most, Deshaun Watson related, Brittany Griner related, and so it doesn't always have to be college sports. And this Kyrie Irving story is so fascinating to me. I don't feel like I've ever seen anything quite like it. And I just felt like we need to take 10 minutes off the top to talk about it. If you don't care, if you don't like Kyrie, if you love Kyrie and think he's done nothing wrong, or if you just don't want to hear this at all, I get it. Fast forward 10 minutes. We'll talk Tennessee, Georgia. Don't you worry. But I do want to start with this story because it is just one of the craziest stories that I can ever remember. And so let's get into it. Let's break it down. And what I'll start by doing very quickly is just kind of tell you what happened for those of you who haven't followed on a minute-to-minute day-to-day basis. I think it was like last Thursday. So we're talking about well over a week ago at this point, Kyrie Irving tweets out something, a link to a movie on Amazon that has some very anti-Semitic undertones to it. 
reporters figure out figure it out. It's kind of weird. People start calling him out on Thursday and Friday. The owner of the Brooklyn Nets, the Bro- Brooklyn Nets, excuse me, Joseph Sai, goes so far as to condemn Kyrie Irving, say that the organization does not support it, does not have Kyrie's back, and does not like the tweet that he sent out. Sent out a link to a video. It happens. Whatever. Agree to disagree. Okay. On Saturday, the Brooklyn Nets play the Indiana Pacers, and this is where the story got interesting to me. I was on air on Fox Sports Radio breaking down the college football day that was when this whole dust-up with an ESPN reporter named Nick Friedle happens. I don't know Nick Friedle. I'm not having his back. I'm just telling you the facts. But Nick Friedle goes to the press conference and basically asks Kyrie Irving about it. He says in not so many words, why were you promoting this, this, this movie? Kyrie's very defensive. He says, I'm not promoting anything. And Nick Friedle's like, well, why is it on your social media page? Kyrie keeps won't won't back down. The reporter won't back down. And then Kyrie ends the, the thing by saying, well, you know, you're just trying to make your name off of me, blah, 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 this and that. Thought it was a really bad look for Kyrie. Let me just say this. Thought it was a bad look for Kyrie to, one, put the first tweet up. Two, maybe more importantly, not even acknowledge it when a reporter has the audacity to ask a question. Fast forward. Thursday, not much has happened. It's been quiet. Kyrie has not apologized at any point for for this tweet or for his actions or for whatever. Now, keep in mind, by the way, this is important to note. The NBA has taken away two organizations from two owners for racist commentary, racist undertones, racist whatever. Donald Sterling with the Los Angeles Clippers, Robert Sarver with the Phoenix Suns. Kyrie Irving has not apologized. Kyrie Irving has not said he's done anything wrong. Adam Silver the commissioner. And if you don't think I'm talking about Adam Silver and Aaron Wright, Aaron wrong, you don't know what you don't know your boy Torres very well. But Adam Silver finally comes out with a statement and basically says, dude, come on, man, just say you're sorry, whatever. Kyrie has another press conference, refuses to apologize. I wish I could get the audio of this press conference. I've never heard anything like it. Reporters are almost giving him softballs, begging him to just say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. But Instead, he says, I have nothing to apologize for. I wasn't promoting it. I was just sharing it, and I found certain parts interesting. And then, and this is the crazy part, the reporters asked him, are you anti-Semitic? He twice, not once, but twice, says, I don't have to explain to you. I don't have to answer that question. I know how I was raised. And so to me, this story is bananas. And finally, on Thursday night, the Brooklyn Nets had enough and they suspended Kyrie Irving for five games. I'm surprised it took this long. I'm surprised it took that the NBA wouldn't do it again. Adam Silver, you're going to get it in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But it finally happens. And I just have so many thoughts on this story. It's so fascinating. A guy, Kyrie Irving, um, you know, just, just a guy that has been such a lightning rod. A guy that sulked his way out of Cleveland, sulked his way out of Boston, goes to Brooklyn, doesn't play last year because of the COVID restriction. That's his priority, whatever. But now tweets out an anti-Semitic link and will not apologize for it. I've never seen anything like it. And so a couple just big picture thoughts and we'll get to it. In some ways, I'll be honest. I almost feel bad for Kyrie. I don't think like, whatever. Is he anti-Semitic? Is he not? That's not my place to say. I don't think he knows the harm. And I just don't think like his brain is processing how serious this is. And I'm not saying he's not smart. He's a very intelligent guy, obviously. 
but I just don't think he gets how serious this is. And the fact that he refuses to apologize, I've never seen anything like this. At the same time, though, I don't feel bad for one very simple reason. He tweeted it out. He refuses to apologize. He refuses to say he did anything wrong. And at the same time, he does have to be held responsible for his standards and or for his actions. And this is what's very interesting to me, okay? So there's this big conversation constantly about free speech, the right to do this, the right to say that, the right to all this. That's perfectly fine. I get it. I understand how free speech works, okay? At the same time, free speech does not mean that you are free of consequences for your actions, and this is the part that Kyrie Irving doesn't get. When you tweet out something like that, with the platform that you have, with the person that you are, with the millions of people that follow you, you do have a responsibility to stand by it or say, darn, man, I kind of screwed up. Listen, I can't speak to who listens to this show and how how big your social media following is if you're on social media at all. I don't know that. What I do know is this. I am a very, very, very minor person with a very, very, very minor social media following, okay? But I understand that my social media, I have a responsibility with that social media, with a microscopic following compared to Kyrie Irving. I have a responsibility to be you know, to be careful what I say or tweet or do or link, but also that if I do something stupid, that's going to make me look bad. That's going to make my employers look bad. That's going to make um, my family look bad, that I have a responsibility to be asked about this and a responsibility. There's, I have the responsibility of owning up to those actions if I screw up. And I think that's my frustration with Kyrie Irving, not that he tweeted it, whatever, Take it down, leave it up. I don't really care. But this idea, and I'm not just being a media guy defending other media guys. You guys know I love I love calling out media. I think most of the media is full of you know what and all that stuff. But this situation, I thought the ESPN reporter handled himself really well. He's going to ask tough questions, not because he doesn't like Kyrie Irving, not because he's trying to build his name off Kyrie Irving, but because of the fact that two things. One, Kyrie Irving's own owner called him out so that immediately makes it a news story and two that's his responsibility as a journalist and so i don't claim to be a big j but when i go to games when i cover stuff when i have people on this podcast i ask tough questions you think i wanted to look on whatever it was thursday afternoon you think i wanted to look you freeze in the eye and say hey are you thinking about other jobs but that's my responsibility and it was the responsibility of these reporters to ask these questions and the fact that Kyrie Irving thinks he's above all this, I just don't get it. And so from my perspective, I think the NBA had to act. And I think they had to act for a couple of reasons. One, Kyrie Irving just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get the severity of it. He doesn't understand that he has to take responsibility for this. And by the way, you don't have to say that you tweeting it out. You were endorsing the film. All you have to say was, I found some stuff interesting. I should have looked into it further. I apologize. And that's the part that's so shocking to me. Kyrie Irving could have ended all of this controversy with one of two sentences. He could have said, I'm sorry. And he could have said, I'm not anti-Semitic. That's all he had to say. And he refused to do it. And so I don't feel bad for him. And so in the bigger picture, I think somebody had to do something. Credit to the Brooklyn Nets for finally standing up and saying, dude, go take a lap 
hit the showers, think about what you did. We can't have you on the floor representing this team. And finally, what I would say is this, man. I don't know if this guy's going to be in the NBA in two or three years from now. I, I really don't. For people who don't remember the contract situation last year after last season when he missed all the games because of the um, vaccine mandate, of course, this is a guy that has had interest off the court quite a bit. Who's going to sign this guy? Remember, the reason he's still a Brooklyn Net, the Nets tried to trade him. The only team that wanted him was the Los Angeles Lakers. They didn't want to give up anything to get him. And so when his contract expires this year, who is going to sign up for this nonsense? And so I, I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know why he thinks that he doesn't have to apologize. But the one thing I'll say, man, you know, one thing about this show, right? I talk about sports topics and sometimes they delve into, you know, geopolitics or whatever. Brittany Griner, the law with Deshaun Watson, um, you know, societal issues with this Kyrie Irving issue. But I talk about these things with a sports twist. One thing I don't come on and talk about, don't talk about healthcare reform, don't talk about whatever, because at the end of the day, I'm not smart enough to talk about it. I'm not saying Kyrie Irving's not smart enough to talk about it, but I do know when I come onto this platform, I better be educated. I better know what I'm talking about. And if somebody calls me out on stuff, I better have an answer. And if I don't have that answer, it means it's something I probably shouldn't be talking about. And I do wonder if Kyrie Irving gets it. It's not to say he's not a smart guy. He's obviously a very smart guy. He's obviously a very well-read guy. He's obviously very inquisitive. But there comes a responsibility with your actions. I just don't think Kyrie Irving gets it. All right. I appreciate you guys and girls letting me indulge on Kyrie for about 10 minutes there off the top. That's what I want to do. Take a quick break. I do want to come back. We'll obviously talk about the two big games this weekend. Tennessee, Georgia is going to be a thriller. Alabama, LSU as well. From there, we'll do some Louisville, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. We are going to take a quick break. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With that said, let's get to the two mega, 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 mega games this weekend. Uh, and they are huge, right? Uh, we'll start with, I think, probably the bigger one. Now, the college football playoff committee screwed things up for everybody. According to the AP poll, we're gonna, we were supposed to get one versus two, Georgia versus Tennessee. The college football playoff committee does have Tennessee at number one, but Georgia at number three. So it is number one, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. The point spread, I'll tell you, it's fascinating. All of the money coming in on Tennessee. This line opened at 11 and a half in the Bedford Sportsbook. Uh, it was at eight and a half as of uh, Thursday or Wednesday night. Thursday morning, as I started prepping my notes for this show, it's down to eight 
all of the money coming in on Tennessee. I saw Dave Purdom from ESPN said 90% of bets across Las Vegas are coming in on Tennessee. And I'll just tell you in the bigger picture, what I think stands out to me, this is just a really strange game to try to handicap, right? Because normally team goes on the road, team's an underdog. You try to make the argument why they can keep it close or they can at least win. I think there's a lot of people, I know there's a lot of people that think Tennessee is not only going to cover in this game, but win outright. These feel like two equals. I know the point spread is eight. I know all the money is coming in on Tennessee. I know that means historically you're going to want to back Georgia here, but I'm with most people in thinking that I just haven't seen anything from Tennessee that makes me think this is going to be a blowout. Now, in terms of the game itself, listen, it's going to be fascinating. We all know why this explosive Tennessee offense versus the Georgia defense, which probably across the board, not quite as good as last year, but they are really, really, really good. And I thought it was interesting as, as we we discuss Tennessee, a couple things stand out. One, for obvious reasons, we get so excited talking about the offense and more specifically talking about the pass offense with Hendon Hooker. That's what tends to happen when you have the number two pass offense in college football, when you throw for 350 yards per game, when Hendon Hooker is your Heisman Trophy favorite here at the back half of the season in college football. What was interesting, though, Kirby Smart was asked about Tennessee earlier this week. You know what he talked about? He talked about the run game, and he said point blank. He said, look, as great as the pass game is, it's actually the run game which opens up everything for them. And this is something that we've talked about on this show. Everybody always thinks about these, these, these offensive savant head coaches, Josh Heupel obviously being the one we're talking about here, but Lincoln Riley, when Lincoln Riley's had his best teams, Oklahoma at the time ran the ball really well. As Oklahoma struggled to run the ball over the last few years, that's when you started to see struggles from Oklahoma. This year, Ole Miss, who's the number one rush offense in the SEC? Who's the number three rush offense behind only the two service academies, Air Force and Army? It's Ole Miss, and they're sitting at 8-1. and one. And that's the thing about Tennessee that I don't think people appreciate. They are not only passing the ball all over the field, but they are running the ball really effectively as well. This is a top 25 run offense in college football right now, and that was what was impressive about that Kentucky game. In the Kentucky game, they rushed for over right around 200 yards, averaged about four and a half yards per carry, and when they needed to chew the clock, when they needed to be in a scenario where they're not just throwing the ball all over the field, that's exactly what they did. So Kirby Smart said all week, this is a balanced offense. You know about the pass game, but the run game is just as good, and people don't give it credit, maybe not quite as good, but you get the point. They run the ball so well that it opens up the passing game as well. And to me, that becomes the question. Can this Georgia defense slow things down? I am worried that they can. First off, I don't think anybody can, and the over-under reflects that Vegas, that the Betfred Sportsbook, thinks this is going to be a high-scoring game. Over-under is at 66 points for a Georgia game. That is absolutely unbelievable, and it speaks to the fact that even Betfred and the Betfred Sportsbook, by the way, it's up to 66 and a half now, doesn't think that Georgia can slow Tennessee down, and I'm not sure they can either. A couple things that are interesting on Georgia. Now, we talked about it last week going into the Florida game. Do think they are probably better 
defensively. You know, at the middle of the season, everybody was comparing him to last year, and you start to realize that's really dumb. That's really unfair to Georgia. It We need to focus on this year's team because they just lost a million uh, NFL draft picks and five first-round picks off that defense. Well, the Georgia's credit right now, they are better than I think a lot of people gave them credit for early in the year. Currently number four in college football in total defense. But the pass defense has fallen back a little bit. If you go back to last week against Florida, Georgia did break, or or, uh, Florida, the Gators, excuse me, did break some big plays. And here's the other thing about Georgia that I think is really interesting as Florida ended up with close to 400 yards of total offense last week against the Bulldogs. What's really interesting about this Georgia defense, I think we all think of just last year, explosive playmakers, playmakers in the backfield. You know who's actually last in the SEC in sacks this season? It's the Georgia Bulldogs. You know who's ranked 104th nationally in tackles for loss? It's the Georgia Bulldogs. And so what's really interesting, about I think we have this vision of what we think Georgia's defense is, maybe the same way we have a vision of what we think Tennessee's offense is, and that's just not who they are this year. Now, I don't claim to be X's and O's guy. I don't claim to be scheme guy. I don't have all the answers as to why Georgia has chosen to do things the way that they do, but I just bring it up because to me, what it speaks to is the fact that this is not the team. This is not the team that you think they are, especially on defense. They are not flying all over the field making plays. It feels as though they're more quote unquote base, if you will. And again, I don't claim to be scheme guy. And also on top of that, the other thing that I found interesting, Pass defense has taken a tiny step back. This is a very young secondary. I thought the Athletic this week did a really good job. David Ubbin from the Athletic, uh, he talked to multiple coordinators and, and position coaches across the SEC, and they pointed out this secondary is really young. Keely Ringo's a junior, going to be a first-round pick this year. But outside of that, in the Georgia secondary, this is a team that is very young. Malachi Starks is a true freshman, other young players in that secondary. And I think we have seen it so far. It's not quite as good as it was last year. Now, I do think from the other perspective, we do have to talk a little bit about George's offense. I'll give him credit, man. Listen, Stetson Bennett, all this guy does, and I've been critical of Stetson Bennett like everybody else, but all this guy does is just keep piling up points, keep piling up wins. And again, I don't think we think of Georgia's offense as explosive. We think of the defense as the explosive, you know, playmakers all over the field. Georgia's offense, here's what they've done the last three weeks since that Missouri game where everybody freaked out. 42 points against Auburn, 55 against Vanderbilt, 42 against Florida. I will say they are going up against a Tennessee team that I think is much better on defense that people give them credit for. But this is an explosive offense. You look at what they did last week. You look at over 500 yards of total offense, and the question becomes, can a Tennessee defense, which I think is probably better than people give it credit for, can they slow down the Georgia offense? And I do think they can. The thing with Tennessee, it's so interesting, right? And we talked about this last week throughout this show, is that I think at this point in the year, we're 10 weeks in, everybody's playing their ninth game, played eight games so far. It's everybody wants to default to season totals in terms of stats, in terms of like, this is the eighth ranked run offense. This is the ninth ranked run defense. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes you have to kind of separate because a team is different now than they were at this time, you know, in September or even early October. 
And so with the Tennessee defense, I think it's easy to look at the stats and say, ah, they give up a lot of points. They give up a lot of yards. They basically gave up all their yards in two games. One was against Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Bryce Young is superhuman Heisman Trophy winner. He should probably be the number one pick, and he was awesome. The other game was a bad performance against, uh, uh, excuse me, against Florida, where Anthony Richardson was just otherworldly, where Anthony Richardson played the best game of his career. Look what they've done to everybody else. 13 points LSU scored at home against this Florida team, against this uh, against this uh, Tennessee team. Kentucky had 205 yards of total offense, three turnovers, three interceptions for Will Levis last week against this Tennessee defense, held them to six points. If you watch that game, Kentucky's offense looked hopeless against this Tennessee defense. So the Tennessee defense, to me, is probably a little bit better than we give it credit for. The Georgia defense is probably a little bit worse than we give it credit for. And so with it, I'm ready to just say this. My official Betfred boosted pick of the week is Tennessee plus eight against Georgia. That will be available in the Betfred Sportsbook on Friday. But that's my best bet of the weekend. I just look at this game. I don't see the scenario where Georgia blows Tennessee out. Now, could they go score for score in theory, make enough stops, get a win? Maybe. I don't know if that happens, though. I think Tennessee wins, but I certainly think they cover the eight points. All right, let's get to the other big game this coming Saturday. Just a little two schools called Bama LSU. You know it is a weird year and a fun year in the SEC. When Alabama LSU is the undercard or the game that is not as marquee in the SEC. Very interesting line. Alabama is a 13.5-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook, the over-under 56. Both these teams coming off a bye. Alabama, of course, three weeks ago lost to Tennessee, takes care of Mississippi State before they get their bye. LSU looking awesome. In the two games before their bye, 45 points against Florida in a win, 45 points against Ole Miss in a win. That was, of course, Ole Miss's only loss this season. When I look at this game, though, the one there is something that does stand out to me, and that's this. Have we gone a little overboard on the Alabama concern? And what I mean by that is this. Listen, I, and by the way, if you listen to this show, if you listen to the Aaron Torres pod, we've talked a lot about it. We've talked about Alabama. They're not the same team on the road. Um, you know, Nick Saban has called out their fiery competitive nature. Are they fiery enough? Are, are, are they that team? Previous Alabama teams had that. Does this group have that? But I also think like people are just kind of burying Alabama, right? And, and what stands out to me is this. Yes, they lost to Tennessee. No, they have not looked great on the road. But first of all, I would say this. The Texas game is ancient history. And yes, they could have lost that Texas game. The Arkansas game they were rolling. They were rolling past Arkansas until Bryce Young got hurt. Then the Tennessee game happens. And I want you to just, you know, I want you to do the old uh, A Time to Kill. If you remember A Time to Kill, the movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey says, I want you to close your eyes and picture something. Now, that was much more serious than this. But I bring it up because I want you to close your eyes. And I want, I want to just talk you through Alabama, Tennessee, okay? And by the way, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. But you get the hypothetical. Alabama against Tennessee, this is what happened. They gave up 21 first quarter points. They muffed a punt, which led to a score for Tennessee. They actually outgained Tennessee. People don't realize this. The offense outgained Tennessee. And on top of all of that, they had the ball late, driving, in control, and Bill O'Brien over 10 play calls, calls nine passes, they don't run out the clock. 
They don't make the field goal. Tennessee gets the ball back two plays later. They're in field goal range. They kick the field goal to win the game. And so why I bring it up is because I just want you to think about all that stuff. 21 first quarter points, muffed punt. They outgained Tennessee. They had the ball. And in a worst case scenario, they should have been kicking the uh, kicking a field goal as time expired to potentially win the game and then go to overtime. And despite all that, they lost out a last second field goal to Tennessee. And so it's easy to bury Alabama, but I just sit there and say, I don't know. Are we sure this team is that bad? On top of it, on the offensive side of the ball, you don't need me to tell you, but this will be the the healthiest that Bryce Young has been in a month and a half since the start of that Arkansas game when he was playing some of his best football of the season. I thought the the wide receivers have really developed nicely, even though it's been a little bit under-discussed. Jameer Gibbs is who he is. And here's the other thing with Alabama, which I thought was interesting. So Alabama's another one. We just talked about it with Georgia. Oh, Georgia's defense took a major step back. Well, Alabama, I think we all kind of think Alabama's defense, like something's not right. They're not very good. Here's the facts. Are they not that good? Or do you just remember that one game against Tennessee where Tennessee just went bonkers on them? And maybe to a little bit of the Texas game when when Quinn Ewers was in. But with no disrespect to Jaden Daniels, he is not Quinn Ewers and he is definitely not Hendon Hooker. And I went back and just for fun, I crunched the numbers for Alabama if they had never played Tennessee. In other words, the seven games outside of Tennessee where they're playing maybe the best offense in college football. If they didn't play Tennessee, or if Tennessee just was later on in the schedule or whatever, and I know it's the third Saturday in October every year, I get that. Alabama right now would rank number four in the country in scoring defense, giving up just 11.6 points per game. That would be number four in the country behind only Illinois, Georgia, and Michigan. And if you took out the yardage that Tennessee was able to put up against them, now keep in mind, everybody puts up yards against Tennessee. They would be number four in the country behind only Illinois, Boise, and Michigan. Ahead of Georgia, by the way. And so I bring it up because is Alabama that bad? Or is it just possible that Tennessee is really, really, really good? And despite everything that happened in that game, Alabama still was in position to win. Now, from the LSU perspective, I'll say this, and and I joked about it in my picks column at Aaron Torres Online. Anybody who listens to this show or certainly the Aaron Torres pod knows I love me some Brian Kelly. I've told the story many times, but he came to Cincinnati kind of as I was leaving UConn. I had seen the Cincinnati program be really successful under Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio leaves. uh, Brian Kelly comes in, and it's like a rocket ship straight to the moon. He leaves, goes to Notre Dame. All he does is win, beat everybody not named Alabama and Clemson. All he ever does is get criticized. So I love Brian Kelly. But even as somebody who loves Brian Kelly, even as somebody who, as I joked, I might end up on the Christmas card this year. I love Brian Kelly so much. Are we getting a little bit overboard on LSU? And it's kind of the opposite of Alabama. I think everybody overreacting to Alabama losing to a really good Tennessee team by three points at the final buzzer. What about the LSU perspective? Are we overreacting a bad Florida team? Florida's just bad. And then that old Miss game was awesome, but it was just one game. And when I look at LSU, a couple things stand out. One, what Brian Kelly is kind of doing, it shows how great of a coach he is. It's kind of smoke and mirrors, though. I hate to say it. It's kind of smoke and mirrors, though. I love Brian Kelly. Give him, I was going to say I'd give an organ to him. I don't know if I really would, but I love the man. But it is a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Here's the facts about LSU. Remember, last year, 
end of the season, LSU had 30-something scholarship players healthy enough for their bowl game. Even after the transfer portal where they took 20-plus kids, even after National Signing Day where they took another 15 or whatever, they're still at about 75, 76 scholarship players right now. So they are behind on bodies to begin with. They're playing two true freshmen on the offensive line. And so what Brian Kelly has done is incredible. I don't know if Alabama is the team, though, that you can keep this going against. And the other thing that really stands out about uh, LSU right now, it does feel like they are a little bit over-reliant on Jaden Daniels, right? Like, again, this goes back to not just looking at a stat on a piece of paper, but actually going ahead and doing the deep dive. And so if you look at this offense and you see that LSU right now is currently uh, in the top 40 or so in rushing offense, about sixth or seventh in the SEC. I think you sit there and say, oh, they have some nice balance. They're passing the ball. They're throwing the ball. Well, that's not really true. Here is the truth, is that Jaden Daniels is doing an awful lot for them. Jaden Daniels, their starting quarterback, not only completing 70% of his passes, 12 touchdowns, one interception, but he's also the leading rusher, 524 yards. And it does seem pretty clear that the last two weeks, when he has really gotten rolling running the ball, that is when LSU has had a ton of success. Three weeks ago against Florida, 349 yards passing and right around 50 yards rushing. Last game against Ole Miss two weeks ago, 248 yards passing, 100-plus yards rushing. And so I do think LSU has some skill players on the outside. I don't know that those guys are in full stride and fully locked in with Jaden Daniels. This secondary is probably the best secondary that LSU will have faced maybe all season, maybe since the opening game against Florida State. Florida State's got a real secondary, but Florida's not good in the secondary. Ole Miss isn't good in the secondary. Tennessee is good, but I don't think Tennessee is playing at the level now that they they weren't playing at that level that they are now when they played LSU. And so I look at this game, and I'll just be honest. I know it's on the road. I know it's Alabama. I know Alabama has struggled on the road. I do think Alabama's the significantly better team. And like I said, I think what it really comes down to is just bodies. Young bodies for LSU, inexperienced bodies, bodies from different places. Alabama's just got a two deep full of dudes that were recruited as four and five stars, recruited to the SEC, have developed as such off of a buy to remember. Nick Saban, I couldn't find the stat. I was looking for it. Nick Saban with more than one week to prepare. It's freaky. And so I do like Alabama. They're minus 13 and a half on the road at LSU. I don't know if the score is something like 41 to 20 or something like that, but a fully healthy Bryce Young, I think it's bad news for everybody else. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and talk a little bit of college hoops. Believe it or not, the college basketball season starts on Monday. Now, I'll just be full disclosure here. A little bit disappointing that they could have found a more interesting and exciting way to kind of get the season off to more of a fun start. This year, the Champions Classic is in week two. Now, I will say a couple things. One, College Hoops Daily with Zach Kroll. That's part of the Aaron Torres podcast media feed. Make sure you're subscribed to that show. I will be joining regularly. And then also, uh, next Friday... A week from today, we will have the Michigan State-Gonzaga game on an aircraft carrier, and your boy will be there. So a lot of college hoop stuff coming, and obviously from there, we'll talk Champions Classic, uh, Kentucky and Gonzaga play early in the season. So a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But to kind of start the college basketball season, we got to put some stuff from the past behind us. And that is exactly what happened earlier this week, where one of these long, never-ending FBI probes into college basketball finally came to an end, okay? So by now, you all remember the details. 2017, FBI, they have our playbook, blah, 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 blah. About eight, nine schools get caught up in all this, and it's been just this ever non... It's been a never-ending investigation. Since then, some schools have officially closed the book on it, moved on. Auburn has, Oklahoma State has, USC has, uh, more recently Memphis has, but there are a few schools that are still in limbo. Arizona's still in limbo, Kansas is still in limbo, LSU is in limbo, and up until Friday, Louisville was in limbo as well. Louisville, of course, uh, was the school. They paid a recruit allegedly through Adidas. Brian Bone was the name of the player. This was different than the other Louisville scandal that involved uh, 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 a madam, if you will, Katina Powell. So Louisville has been waiting on their punishment, and Louisville got their punishment on Friday. So what happened to Louisville? Louisville, they got a drumroll, please. Punishment wasn't all that bad. couple years probation, $5,000 fine, and that is it. That's all. It's over, baby. It's over. For Louisville, it is over. Small fine. Uh, probation, and that is all they will get. No NCAA tournament ban, uh, no ban for, ironically, Rick Pitino, who is no longer affiliated with Louisville. So it was a very small, very minor punishment, but I am not surprised by this, and I'll be blunt, I'm not really upset by it either after everything that Louisville has been through. Now, why, first of all, why am I not surprised? I think there's a lot of people, what's going on, second time, punishment this, punishment that. Well, here's the thing. Remember, Louisville chose to have their case heard rather than by the NCA, but by the IARP. Remember, the IARP was an independent council outside of the NCAA put together to kind of handle these cases. We've talked about it a million times on this show, but if you really think about the NCAA process of punishment, it's never made sense, right? So this is what happens. You break NCAA rules allegedly, the NCAA itself investigates you, and then the NCAA hands out its own punishment based on its own investigation. It's never made sense. 
judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, it's ironic. I'm wearing a shirt for those of you watching on YouTube with Jerry Tarkanian's picture on it right now. Jerry Tarkanian was complaining about this in the 1980s, the 1970s, okay? And so it never made sense. So they finally put together this IARP, the Independent Council, which is actually going to be ban- disbanded after this, uh, you know, after all these cases are settled. But the IARP doesn't work for the NCA, and they are just supposed to look at the facts of the case. And so I bring it up because about maybe a month or so ago, Memphis's case came across the desk of the IARP. And the Memphis case was crazy. It was James Wiseman. It was Penny Hardaway. It was this. It was that. And what separated uh, Memphis from Louisville was that Louisville really kind of punished itself, right? Fired Rick Pitino, fired the AD Tom Jurich, the kid uh, uh, Brian Bowen never played. Well, Memphis... Never fired Penny Hardaway. Never po- imposed a self, you know, a self-imposed NCAA tournament ban. James Wiseman did play for a few games at the school, and the IARP basically gave him the exact same punishment as Louisville: a little bit of probation, a little bit of fine. But Penny Hardaway was not suspended. No NCAA tournament ban, and so people were surprised by the reaction of the IARP to Memphis. So once we saw that Memphis result, I wasn't really all that surprised that we were going to see the same with Louisville. It's the bottom line. You can agree. You can disagree. You can say it's too tough. You could say it's too lenient. But once the IARP set the tone, hey, we're going to look at independent, every every situation independent of each other. Every sing- We're going to go ahead and also on top of that, we don't want to punish the kids that are currently on campus or the staff that is currently on campus. Once they established that precedent with Memphis, I never thought that Louisville or any of these other schools would really get hammered by the I- IARP. Which brings me to the Louisville perspective, and I'll just say this. I'm not mad that Louisville didn't get hammered. One, and I talked about this with Memphis, for years, you guys and girls have been telling me, I hate the NCAA process. Why are we punishing players for stuff that happened when they weren't on campus? Why are we punishing coaches for stuff that happened when they weren't there? Well, if that is the standard that you have wanted for as long as I have been doing this professionally, this is what you got. None of the players that were at Louisville in 2016, 2017 during all this craziness are still on campus. Brian Bowen never played a second of college basketball for Louisville. The coaching staff that was there is not only gone, the coaching staff that replaced them with Chris Mack is gone as well. So I'm not that upset that Louisville didn't get punished because all of the people that were there are no longer there. Um, And on top of that, I would also say this. I think Louisville has dealt with enough punishment. And by the way, I'm wearing red here. Like I said, my Jerry Tarkanian shirt, this is not a Louisville shirt. So I didn't turn into, you know, Torres on Louisville here, just, just saying nice things about Louisville. But look, to me, when I look at this whole situation, I think Louisville has served their punishment. Listen, it was five, six years ago now that this whole thing started. And think about not only everything that's happened since, but think about what Louisville did at the time. Louisville fired a Hall of Fame head coach in Rick Pitino. We can go back and say, now this, that, he's coaching again. They fired him in that moment. And I know it was his second major scandal in a three, four-year period with the Katino Powell stuff, Katina Powell. But at the same time, they did still fire him. They fired a great AD in Tom Jurich. You can like Tom Jurich, hate Tom Jurich, like Louisville, hate Louisville. Guy was a great AD. All of Louisville's non-revenue sports were awesome. Football at the time was awesome. Basketball at the time was awesome. Women's basketball at the time was awesome. Baseball got built up under his watch. Great AD, he was fired. And also it's worth noting what I just said. Brian Bowen, who was on paper one of the best recruits Rick Pitino signed in his final few years, never played a minute at Louisville. And so to me, I'm not going to sit here and yell and scream, why didn't they get punished? Rick Pitino's gone. The staff that replaced him is gone. And I'm okay with Louisville 
having to deal with what they've had to deal with over the last five years because it's not as though Louisville has been punished. Forget the stuff that I just told you. Rick Pitino fired, Tom Jurich fired, Brian Bowen never played. Remember also that Kenny Payne's been saying since he got there, it's negative recruiting after negative recruiting story in that basically every single time he goes on the road, people are telling him, or every single time he goes into the home of a kid, people are telling him, oh, you'll never play in the NCAA tournament at Louisville, blah, 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 this and that. So Kenny Payne in 2022 going into 2023 has still been dealing with the after effects of this case that is now six years old. Can't even imagine what Chris Mack dealt with during his time. So I have no problem with it, but what I want to do now is kind of look ahead and look forward to what could happen to Louisville, Rick Pitino, all that stuff, and of course the other schools that have yet to have their cases heard by the IARP or for the, the schools that the IARP has not made a decision. One, my first reaction to what's next. One, for Louisville, it's go time, man. Listen, you're five, six years removed from the Patino era at this point, okay? Rick Patino has made NCAA tournaments since the last time that you won tournament games under Rick Patino. And so for Louisville, you're out of excuses, man. For the last four or five years, you've had this hanging over you, and I get it. I'm not here to say that it had no impact on you because I know it had an impact on you. Kenny Payne has talked about it. Chris Mack has talked about it. I get it. It has had a negative impact on your recruiting. But guess what? None of that matters now. It's go time and you're officially out of excuses. So Kenny Payne in his first couple months said there was a lot of negative recruiting. Well, that's officially no longer an excuse. And we're going to start to judge you as a Louisville head coach on an equal playing field with everybody else. An equal playing field with John Calipari, an equal playing field with... Uh, John Shire with Eric Musselman, with Mick Cronin, with whoever you are recruiting against, that is who we are holding you. Uh, you know, that that's the level that we're holding you to. And I'll be honest, Louisville is a program that should aspire to be a Kentucky, a UCLA, a North Carolina, a Duke. Not every year. You're not going to compete for a championship every year. But think about how long it's been since Louisville's really been relevant. I guess they had a few months stretch during that COVID season. But we're talking about five, six, seven years now since they've competed at the highest level of the sport. Secondly, what I would say, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Rick Pitino's future going forward. Because I know for a fact that there have been a few power conference programs that have kind of sort of sniffed around some more seriously than others. And I know that a lot of them were like, we don't want to hire this guy and be afraid that he's not going to be able to coach for us or he's going to get suspended or given a show cause. Well, Rick Pitino's in the clear, and it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with him at Iona. He was actually asked about this in a press conference, and he didn't really answer it, but he didn't really duck it either. He basically said, you know, I'm happy at Iona, blah, 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 this and that. It sure sounded like a guy that if he gets the right Power 5 offer, he's going to take it. Now, I thought there were, I, I thought really honestly over the last four or five years, there were a few schools that made a ton of sense. I remember talking about it at the time. I thought Boston College was the one. It's like Rick, Boston College hires Rick Pitino. They're in the tournament no later than year two. And I think they're a second weekend team by year two. And oh, by the way, Boston College is never getting a coach like that if the, if there's not craziness surrounding Rick Pitino. Well, now he's available. Now he's cleared. Now there's no wrongdoing. And I understand he's almost 70 years old. I do wonder if somebody is going to take a chance. Now, I would say he's not going to be for everybody. And he's not going to be interested in every job, right? Like if Clemson fires Brad Brownell, I don't know that Rick Pitino is rushing to Clemson just to get in the ACC. 
If Arizona State fires Bobby Hurley, I don't know that Arizona uh, that, that Rick Pitino is rushing to Arizona State or Cal with Mark Fox. I do think the right job would interest him, though. I do think if, say, Jim Laranega retires at Miami, oh, by the way, Miami, with all those boosters that are handing out NIL money on the record t- telling us all about it, can you imagine Rick Pitino with John Ruiz? I think it could happen. I think it could happen, and I think before he retires, I've said it, since the day he got hired at Iona, he will end up at a power five or in college basketball, we call them the power six. If you include the Big East, I think Rick Pitino ends up at one of those schools. Lastly, you know who's the biggest winner today outside of Louisville and outside of Rick Pitino? It's Arizona, it's Kansas, it's probably LSU, and the other schools that haven't had their verdicts decided yet by the IARP. We talked about this with Memphis, but I think it's a great day for Arizona. Remember, Arizona self-imposed NCAA tournament ban fired Sean Miller a few years ago. They did what was asked of them. I think the IARP will be a little bit sympathetic to them. LSU's a little bit of a wild card, but they did fire Will Wade. And also Kansas is a really interesting one because they are now being proactive. If you saw Bill Self, uh, Kansas suspended Bill Self for the first four games of this season, including the Champions Classic opener against Duke. Well, it's not the opener, but it's the first big game of the season. So Bill Self suspended for four games. They took him off the road in recruiting. I think this is Kansas's way of saying NCAA, IARP, listen, we're trying something here. We're trying to help. We're guilty of something. Go ahead. Uh, consider this, consider this part of our punishment. Now it's ironic. It came after the school just won a national championship, but it is clear that Kansas is trying to ingratiate itself to the IARP. Uh, But I'll say this overall. Those are my three thoughts. One, Louisville, you're out of excuses. Two, Rick Pitino, it's go time, baby. Some job's going to hire him. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. And I do think this is a good situation for Arizona, Kansas, and schools of the like. Woo, good segment, good segment. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. Do want to come back? And when I come back, I want to wrap the show with America's favorite, not only Friday podcast segment, just f- podcast segment in general, but especially on Fridays, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Gonna take a quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Really fun way to end the week by now. You know the drill. Yes, I stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does every single week where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for one very simple reason. It is that nobody loves patting themselves on the back more than your boy Torres when he gets something right. Oh my goodness, Torres told you this. Why didn't you listen here? Torres said this. Torres, 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 Torres. Never shut up. Never shuts up this guy right here who's got 10 fingers, 10 toes, and never stops running his mouth. It's this guy right here. At the same time, though, while I love to pat myself on the back when I get stuff right, I I do get stuff wrong, too. And I got to take L's just like everybody else. And so we brought where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong to this show to kind of have a fun way to wrap the week, talking about my best takes of the week, but also just as importantly, my worst takes of not only just the week, but the month and the year as well. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So for years now, I have been telling you guys and girls, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner is an empty suit. 
I've said from the beginning, I don't know what he does well. Um, you know, players have never been less happy. Players are coming, going, ratings are plummeting. And all I hear on social media, how great Adam Silver is. Well, I'll be honest. I think he's got a little bit of a crisis on his hands here with this Kyrie Irving situation. By now, you don't need me to tell you what happened, but Kyrie Irving sent out a tweet that had some uh, a link to a, a movie that had some anti-Semitic undertones. It is not a good look, and Kyrie Irving just flat out refuses to apologize. Well, where is Adam Silver in all this chaos? Oh, it took him six days from the minute that Kyrie Irving tweeted things out to even issue a statement condemning Kyrie Irving. This guy is supposed to be the leader of the NBA, and all I continue to see is one PR gaffe after another. You don't want to talk Kyrie Irving? Okay. How about the fact that the Brooklyn Nets, who again are supposedly uh, condemning Kyrie Irving's uh, Kyrie Irving's actions, they appear ready to hire Ime Adoka as the head coach. Isn't that the guy that we just heard two months ago might never coach again, and now he's going to be back 30 seconds later to coach one of the Boston Celtics' biggest rivals? So you go on and on and on down the list. And what I would say is, listen, part of leadership is a lot of different things. It's leading in times of, of great you know, moments of, of excitement, but it's also leading in times of crisis. And this guy has been absent. So I could go on and on and on and on and on, but I said it before. Ratings are plummeting. Players are unhappy. By the way, Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, they're still not playing after all these years. And this Kyrie Irving situation is a mess. What a shame that Adam Silver has not come out more strongly. It took him six days just to release a statement. I'm just going to ask you a simple question. I don't get into all the politics of everything. But over the last 10 years, the NBA has taken away not one, but two. Not one, but two franchises from owners for making racist remarks, racist undertones, racist whatever. Robert Sarver with the Phoenix Suns, and of course, Donald Sterling a few weeks ago, or a few years ago. So with that, here's my question. If you can take away a franchise from an individual, why is Kyrie Irving playing? I'm just saying, I'm just asking the question since nobody else will. Where Aaron was wrong, on a much, much, much lighter note, the first college football playoff rankings came out earlier this week, and I was dead wrong. I did not think the committee would have the you-know-what to put Tennessee at number one. I thought they'd play it safe. I thought they'd follow the AP poll. And I thought we were going to see a scenario where probably Georgia's number one, maybe Ohio State, and Tennessee, this feel-good story out of nowhere, was going to be in the 2-3-4 spot. I know it doesn't matter. I know that ultimately Tennessee plays Georgia this weekend, and if Tennessee doesn't win, they won't be number one next week. But the College football playoff committee poll is supposed to be based off of what you've done on the field this year. They have not only been the best team, they have the best resume, and I think they are very deserving of that number one spot. Didn't think they would get it. Credit to the college football playoff committee. Where Aaron was right. All right, let's go to college hoops now. College hoops tips off on Monday. I think at some point, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll have to kind of give my final four national championship picks and all that good stuff. But I've told you all summer, a lot of people in the media, a lot of people I like have been making the argument that Gonzaga should be the number one team in the country. And what have I told you all summer? I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't think that is anything close to the best team in the country. Now, I'm not Mr. Anti-Gonzaga. This has been a great program over the last five, six years. But this idea that it was them or Carolina for number one, like I've said all along in my preseason poll, 
I had Carolina ahead of Gonzaga. I had Houston ahead of Gonzaga. I had UCLA ahead of Gonzaga. And I think you could probably and should argue that Kentucky should be ahead of them, maybe Arkansas. And oh, by the way, maybe Tennessee, because where Aaron was right, they played Tennessee last week in an exhibition. And I know these exhibitions, it's hard to figure out who's playing hard, who isn't, who's playing their starters, who isn't. Gonzaga played all their guys, and Tennessee smacked them without one of their best players. So maybe this should be where Aaron was right. I like Tennessee, but I told you all summer, Gonzaga's a really nice team. They're going to have a very good season. I don't think they're going to win the national championship, but they were not the number one team. They've never been the number one team, and I've never really understood the argument that some people have tried to make. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's go back to the college football playoff committee, and I am shocked that they put Michigan at number five. Now, I don't even necessarily think it is the wrong decision, but I thought kind of the brand loyalty of Michigan, the fact that they're this huge brand, reigning Big Ten champs, coming off a college football playoff appearance, and have basically destroyed every single team that they've played, I thought Michigan would be a lot higher than number five. I actually thought, and I've said this before, if it was my personal ranking, I would have had them at number three, Tennessee at one, Georgia at two, Michigan at three. think they easily could be ahead of Ohio State based on what they've done on the field. Ohio State, no great wins. think they probably also have looked better than Clemson, but I'll also say I'll defend the committee. I don't think they got it wrong. I think I just got it wrong for assuming that they would do what's right. Michigan is a really good team. Michigan is going to have a chance to play themselves into the college football playoff. If they went out, they beat Ohio State, they beat Illinois in the conf- in the uh, game before Ohio State, and if they win the Big Ten championship game, they are going to the college football playoff. But I thought they were definitely going to be in that top four, maybe the top three, and the playoff committee just said, Michigan, you didn't even try to play anybody in the Ottawa conference. We are not putting you in that top four. We're sliding you in at number five where Aaron was right. Hold on a second. I got to put on my sneakers to take a victory lap about Jim Mora at UConn. Did you see what my boy Jim Mora at UConn did last Saturday? They beat Boston College out of the ACC. This is their first win over a Power 5 team since 2016. As a matter of fact, let me take it a step further. From 2018, to 2021, so four seasons. Now, UConn didn't play in the 2020 COVID season, but over three seasons, UConn went 4-32. and 32. From 2018 to 2021, 4-32. They are currently 4-5. and five. They play uh, UMass tonight, Friday night, in a game that they are favored. If they win that, it's going to come down to the final two games where they play Hugh Freeze's Liberty Flames and the Army Black Knights to get to bowl eligibility. I told you Jim Moore was the guy, but more importantly, I told you, UConn is not as bad of a job as you think. No, it isn't Clemson. No, it isn't USC. No, it isn't Bama, Tennessee, Georgia, whatever. But this is a job that is a state school with great facilities. Jim Moore said it on this podcast. He said that when he got to UConn, he was stunned by the facilities. They have coaches from the SEC who have said these facilities are as good as anybody. UConn is going to be a transfer destination for those power five guys that want an opportunity, but credit to this team four and five under Jim Moore. They're doing it with a true freshman quarterback after their starting quarterback got hurt in week one, actually week zero credit to Jim Mora. I was dead, right? But I'll say this. I didn't think it was going to be this good, this fast. You could be talking about a five and five UConn team by Saturday morning where Aaron was wrong. 
if Jim Mora is one of the great success stories among first-year head coaches, I would argue that among the biggest failures has been Mario Cristobal at Miami. Now, Mario Cristobal at Miami is 4-4, four and four, and to his credit, I guess they did beat Virginia on Saturday, but keep in mind, that was a game they won 14-12 in multiple overtimes where nobody scored a touchdown. They played in regulation. Each team, it was 6-6 six to six after, uh, after uh, regulation. In overtime, remember, once you get past the second overtime, it becomes two-point conversions. So Miami wins 14-12 to 12 thanks to two-point conversions. With that, Miami is sitting at 4-4 four and four overall. But listen, they got embarrassed by Duke. They lost to Middle Tennessee. And you can't use the whole, it, I'm a first-year head coach, it takes time anymore. Listen, forget about Jim Mora, who's sitting at 4-5 and five in UConn if they won four games the previous four years. How about what Sonny Dykes is doing at TCU? If it wasn't for Josh Heupel, he might be the national coach of the year. TCU ranked number seven in the first college football playoff poll. Lincoln Riley, year one, number nine. Brian Kelly, year one, number 10. You can't tell me that if you're a first-year head coach, you get excuses anymore. Miami is four and four. They're playing Florida State this weekend. I think they get smoked. And this was just a guy that I thought was going to be much better than he's been. Finally. Where Aaron was right. So, after the USC-UCLA news broke, last week, a few weeks ago, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, did say that he's talked to multiple people, dozens of people was his term, in the USC and UCLA communities, and he has yet to talk to anybody who is truly in support of the move. I said on the show, I believe him because I live in LA and all the USC and UCLA fans I talk to really aren't that excited. They're excited because they didn't want to get left behind, right? Nobody wants to get left behind, but they're not excited about the travel, about the lack of rivalries, about the the fact that, by the way, Ohio State and Iowa and Wisconsin are going to bring 40,000 people to their football stadium. Well, why do I bring it up? Did you see what Bill Walton said earlier this week, Bill Walton with John Canzano, the longtime reporter out of Oregon, he released a statement about the move from the Pac-12, and he said he hates it. He is, to date, the most prominent USC or UCLA alum to say it publicly, but I am telling you, behind the scenes, people do not like it. They don't like the lack of the, losing the history. They don't like losing the natural rivalries. They don't like the idea that it's not just football and basketball, that everybody is going to have to fly across country and I do think it's fair to ask when you start tallying in travel costs, when you start tallying in that every single one of your teams is going to have to make four, five, six cross-country flights a year, stay in hotels for weeks at a time. You play two, three road games for a week, come home, play two, three road games again a few times later. Are you really going to be saving that much money? Are you going to be making that much money? Now, I know everyone's going to say it was the right move and it was the right move, but I told you that more people than you would think are not happy about it. And so far, Bill Walton is the most prominent person that has come out against it. Whew. All right. I think that is it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. What a show we had tonight. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Make sure to rate and review the show as well. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. And oh, by the way, a couple other things. 
One, make sure you subscribe to the College Hoops Daily with Zach Kroll. Uh, that is part of the AT Media feed. Many of you have found it. We appreciate your support. The numbers have surprised me as far as how good they have been so far. But if you love College Hoops, Zach is going to do an awesome job covering them. Uh, also, thank you to our partners at Betfred Sportsbook. We will get that Betfred boost up later today at some point. And oh, by the way, BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket, Bracket Torres, automatic $100 weekly winner, $1,000 season-long cash prize. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Thank you for listening, and I will be back on Monday. And we're going to have college hoops. Can you believe that? Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me. I'll be back on Monday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hope everybody has a great, great weekend. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.